Dominique Dunn, who played Dana Freely, was murdered by her boyfriend soon after the first film was released. Julian Beck, who played Reverend Henry Kane in the film's second film, was diagnosed with stomach cancer before he accepted his role and died before it was released. That's more of a cancer happens, it's real. Will Saps Sampson, who played Shaman in the second film, The Native American, actually tried to perform a late night exorcism on the set to get rid of the poltergeist curse. But died less than a year later due to malnutrition and post-operative kidney failure. That's failure. Joe Beth Williams, who played Diane Freeling, also reported finding pictures repeatedly hanging crooked on her walls after returning home from filming. Oliver Robbins, who played Robbie Freeling, was almost was also almost killed while filming the scene where the clown was attacking him. Where the mechanical clown malfunctioned and the actor was act was being choked for real. Other strange occurrences include an air conditioner being struck by lightning and flying into someone's back. Ow! That hurts me. And Richard Lawson, who played Ryan in the first film, being aboard a flight that crash-landed and being one of the 27 people who survived out of the 51 on board. I don't know. Some of these that can be explained. For example, the cancer that can be explained. Uh, the post-operative kidney failure. That, I don't know. That could possibly be medical. Medical explanation. Uh, the girl getting killed by her boyfriend. Obviously, she was with a dick. The little girl. The cardiac arrest and septic shock by a misdiagnosed intestinal issue. The, mis the cardiac arrest on a 12 year old, I find really hard to digest. I'm a 12 year old. The septic shock caused a misdiagnosed intestinal issue. That could be considered medical, but at the same uh, no, it could be uh, old malpractice. Uh, or she could have had gallstones. I know I did. The Crow, 1994, which a lot of people probably wonder, still wonder to this day, even I do. Actor 
Brandon Lee, he was really hot for the for that time period. Who was the son of Bruce Lee? No, I didn't stumble, nor I didn't stutter. Brandon Lee really was the son of Bruce Lee. Was fatally shot on set when a prop gun was accidentally loaded with a real bullet. Which hit him in the abdomen and caused his death. Okay, I'm going to read that part again. Fatally shot on set when a prop gun was accidentally loaded with a real bullet. How the fuck do you accidentally load a real bullet into a prop gun? Can someone explain that to me? Which hit him in the abdomen and caused his death. While that could easily be attributed to a freak accident, which probably some people listening probably could be saying freak accident, what makes it so much more creepy is the fact that he had apparently predicted his own death after having a premonition that he would die suddenly. Brandon is said to have believed his family was cursed after after his grandfather had angered some businessmen who had put a curse on them. Can't really laugh at the dead deer. His dad, Bruce Lee, also died at 32 after apparently having a premonition that he would only live half the time of his father, who died age 64 due to the curse. I still like to know how, how the fuck a real bullet gets put into a prop gun. Watch someone actually, watch someone actually email you. Go, oh. Real bullets can be mistaken for real one, for fake ones. If you can mistake a real bullet, a prop, a prop bullet for a real gun, or the way around, then you suck at your job, and you shouldn't be doing it. Rosemary's Baby, nineteen sixty-eight. Rosemary's Baby centers a pregnant woman who believes that evil cult wants to take her baby to use in their dark rituals. But the stories that surrounded the making of the movie are enough to make the hairs in the back of your neck stand up. Let's find out, shall we? The most famous being the death of Roman Polinski's pregnant wife, Sharon Tate who was brutally murdered by Charles Manson's followers a year after the film was released. Producer William Castle also suffered sudden kidney failure after receiving hate mail about the film and apparently screamed, Rosemary, for God's sake, drop the knife. 
As he was being admitted to hospital, he later died of a heart attack. The composer, uh, I'm gonna end up butchering this one, Christophe Cometa, also died of a brain clot a year after the film was released in a really similar way to how Rosemary's friend, Hutch, dies in the movie. In another bizarre coincidence, Beatles star John Lennon was shot and killed outside the building in which Rosemary's apartment was shot at. And we... Next, what you just talked about. The Exorcist 1973. But John Lennon died in a plane crash. Supposedly. So there's two different stories out there about John There's Lennon. a lot of different stories okay. to a lot of different shit. And no one's coming up with the real shit. The Exorcist 1973, as well as the set of The Exorcist being plagued by unexplained electrical problems, throughout filming and a mysterious fire, nine of the cast and crew lost their lives during or after filming. Jack McCalrin, who played Burke in the movie, died from complications of the flu just days after filming finished, as well as a crew member, a technician, who both died during the shoot. Linda Blair, who played lead character Reagan McNeil, found out her grandfather passed away, as did the brother of Max von Sidrow, who played Father Merritt. Father Damien Karras' mother, played by Vesaliki Valeros, also died after filming and before the film was released. But by far the most terrifying occurrence on set was a mysterious fire which broke out one night when cast and crew were not around. The flames destroyed the set, but one room was inexplicably untouched. Can we guess which room that is? Would that be the bedroom? The one that Reagan's bedroom was in. Yeah. That's all. Okay. The other ones... I could probably say, oh shit, bad luck. If you make a film and the person dies. But. What I didn't know. Did notice when just read it. They didn't, sh- they didn't say anything about Linda Blair. Hurting her back. In that bed bouncing and tossing scene. Because they had her hooked up the wires. And Linda Blair, in an interview, stated it. Because of that scene, her back got really bad. She couldn't really do much. Surprised that's not on here. But, 
the flame that I just read about, the fire that I just read about, where everything was destroyed except for the room that was supposed to be in hers, her bedroom, I can't debug that. Nor can I come up with an explanation of how that's even possible. A whole fucking set goes up in flames except for one part? I don't know. Yeah, literally. And she's still alive today. I know Linda Blair's still alive. But she's still an actor and everything, but she can't do stuff like that like she used to. I mean, she was lucky she was able to do the spoof of Exorcist. Repossessed with Leslie Nielsen. She was lucky she was able to do that. To the fact she had a stunt double. No, that was really her. That was really her. The only thing in the, the fact it was a spoof, they couldn't have the bed actually bounce her. Mm. I mean, she was really doing flap, half-ass flappery of herself. <laughs> but it worked. Mm. I took. If you're wondering why you've never seen this one, it's because the took never ended up getting made due to the terrible fates that ended up befalling some of the characters. The comedy was about an Eskimo immigrating to New York. Was definitely shelved after actor John Belushi died of a drug overdose shortly after reading the script. Comedian Sam Kinison was the next to be cast, but was killed in a car crash before filming could begin. The role was then given to John Candy, who died of a heart attack, which was actually true. He did die of a heart attack that year. But apparently, this was the reason. Chris Farley. I'm pretty sure people who by now who know who the fuck Chris Farley is. Or was. If anybody knows Saturday Night Live, but it was actually good, they would know Chris Farley from there. If you know Adam Sandler, Saturday Night Live, Chris Farley. Chris Rock. Mike Myers. Uh... Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd. Eddie Murphy. Yep. I'm trying to think. There were a few other ones too that they were actually pretty good, but I can't remember. Um, I can't remember the first name, but his last name is McDonald. Norm McDonald. Norm Norm McDonald. Yeah. Uh, Chris Farley then began having talks about playing the lead before dying of a drug overdose in similar circumstances to John Belushi. And after the deaths of four actors, the production was put on hold ever since. Okay. The Belushi one, I'm pretty sure... Nobody saw that one coming. 
The Chris Farley one? You knew sooner or later that was going to happen. For, for years, he struggled with drug and alcohol abuse. Mainly drug abuse. In one season, you'd see Chris Farley through the whole fucking season. Next season, you don't see him. And so forth. It's not enough roller coaster with him. Rebel Without a Cause, 1955. Be one of James Dean's most iconic movies. The actor never lived to see its release after dying age 24 when he crashed his Porsche. You've heard of that one. Sal Mineo, who starred opposite James Dean, was also killed age 37 after being stabbed to death in an alley. That's in an alley, meaning he was mugged. And co-star Natalie Wood also died some years later under suspicious circumstances after being found drowned. The bad luck didn't end with the cast and crew, however. Troy McHenry, a Beverly Hills orthopedic surgeon, also died in a car crash in a vehicle he had recently outfitted with parts from James Dean's Porsche. That's it for that one. Get rid of that one. Uh, I know I gotta get to the music. I don't need to Dina meow whining. <laughs> don't need a Dina to meow at me. <laughs> huh? You're about to say I don't need a Dina to meow at me. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> I don't. I hate it when she does. She gives me guilt trip. And I know she didn't learn that from me. The only thing she's learned from me was to um, doing the sad cat eyes. But she works on my brother. <laughs> He's not on. He hasn't been on in what in almost a week. Well, he's on eight oh, on nine minutes ago. <laughs> What's the matter, bro? You can't say hi. If you get honey into her phone. The only time he can answer the phone is if it's work or his spouse. Anybody else? He just tells him to fuck off. Well, he knows not to really. He doesn't normally tell me fuck off, dear. You know that. If anything, he pops up like, hey, I'm doing okay. Just going nuts. It disappears. Yeah, but at least I know when he's... At least I know uh, my nephew can't do shit on his f Facebook anymore. Even though now my nephew is seriously trying to kiss ass and apologize. 
to my brother anyway. <laughs> I don't know what he's doing, but apparently it's working because... I don't know what he's been how he's doing it, but... But he's doing it. Uh, you got another story? <clears throat> I know I sent you a couple. Yeah, I got, um... Haunted Hotels. Okay. Question is, do you stay the night, or do you dare to stay the night, in America's most haunted hotels? I would. Places that goes bump in the night. Sounds like a good good song for somebody to make, come up with a music thing. America has a vast selection of historic hotels that are rumored to be home to some special supernatural guests. With properties ranging from vintage city center hotels with eerie histories to uninvertently remote rural resorts. These so-called haunted hotels will give you goosebumps if you dare to stay in them. The Myrtle Plantation in St. Francisville, Louisiana. This grand and impeccable decorated plantation house turned bed and breakfast dates back to 1796 and is marked by dramatic old oak trees shading the grounds. A, a vineyard complete with delicate decorative ironwork and a few centuries worth of ghosts. Its dark history and swampy grounds means there's plenty of legends that make prime fodders for spooky stories of ghosts lingering around the property. While the house definitely has its charms and offers a peaceful place to stay in the rural south, it's also regarded as one of the most haunted buildings in Louisiana. While a number of ghosts have been spotted at Myrtle's, the most famous is the spirit of an enslaved girl named Chloe who has appeared in photographs taken on site. The bed and breakfast doesn't shy away from the 
spooky status, offering mystery tours of the property. So much with that plantation can be debunked in a lot of ways, especially the enslaved woman named Chloe, which never was ever on the property. That is a lie and a folklore legend. It's been debunked by so many different paranormal groups, it's not funny. But yet they keep with it. Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel, located in Los Angeles, California. Oh yeah, heard of that. There's no town more rifle with scandals, ghost stories, than Hollywood and this glamorous 1927 hotel is said to be choke full of ghosts lamining their broken dreams. The most famous dearly departed resident is Marilyn Monroe herself who is said to haunt room 1200 where she lived as a young actress working her way up to being the most famous woman in cinematic history. Hotel guest claims to have seen Monroe's reflection in the room's mirror. Located right at the iconic Hotel Walk of Fame, the hotel is home to a lot of history. Having hosted the very first Academy Awards in its Blossom Ballroom in 1929, the ghost of actor Montgomery Clint is believed to be loitering in room 928 and has apparently tapped living guests on the shoulder. Ghost aside, the Roosevelt remains a beautiful hotel and a striking striking uh, respite from the chaos of Hollywood Boulevard. The Jerome Grand Hotel in Jerome, Arizona. Ghost Adventures were there not that long ago. I know. And I have, I really have to say, this place is fucking gorgeous. Oh, yeah. Really fucking gorgeous. Is there any possibility of a former historic hospital in an Arizona mining town not being haunted? That's mm. the question. The Jerome Grand Hotel is the only full-service hotel in what is known as the wickedest town in the West. Thanks to its history as a rough-in-tumble copper mining town. Thousands of people died in the hospital, which was in operation from 1927 through to 1950. 
it sat largely vacant with an old on-site caretaker until the mid-1980s. Until it was purchased by a hoteler in 1994. Today, the hotel is a great home base for a trip to Jerome and Arizona's Verde Valley, but guests should be aware that they may encounter some ghostly company while visiting. The owner reports feeling a protective spiritual presence while renovating the hotel. Professional psychics had also sended the presence of an intimate head nurse ghost who seems to have moved on after her original desk was returned to the hotel restaurant area which used to be the hospital's disciplinary. Well, I guess that's one way to make a spirit move on. Just bring back the shit. They go. Hotel Montilon in New Orleans, Louisiana. If I said that name wrong, I'm sorry. Words are hard. <laughs> One of the French quarters, most historic places, the luxurious Hotel Montelonis, first opened in 1886, giving it plenty of time to develop a collection of spirits. The hotel and its revolving carousel bar are a famous literally haunted pun intended I didn't see the pun in it attracting many great writers ranging from William Faulkner to Anne Rice combined with a long history in the New Orleans most famous neighborhood all of that literally mojo has also made room for some very spooky supernatural tales. Frequent reports of paranormal activity led to a visit by the International Society of Paranormal Research in 2003, which detected all sorts of ghostly going-ons, particularly on the 14th floor or more accurately the 13th floor which is skipped in accordance to oh I can't say this word but it's it's super tenacious I can't say it tenacious tenacious S-U-P E-R S-T-I-T I-O-U-S that superstitious? Something like that. Tradition. From doors that open by themselves to sightings of child-sized ghosts, in 
including one believed to be a child who died in the hotel in the late 1800s. There is plenty of paranormal activity to delight ghost seekers. How funny is that? Uh Not paranormal investigators, not people interested in the paranormal, you're just known as ghost seekers. That's basically what YouTubers are. Seekers. No, I'm talking like real paranormal teams. Yeah, I know that. Obviously, this place doesn't believe in calling them paranormal enthusiasts, paranormal um, investigators interested into the paranormal world. They just call them ghost seekers. Mm. Ghost seekers, I can understand... CJ and Sonny and Mo yeah. and um, Angelo, Omar, Omar, Lomar, Chrissy, Christar. Yes. Um, who else was there? I said Gas. Yeah, him too. CJ. I already said CJ. Oh. Admiral fell in. Literally, that's the name of this place. Well, why don't you take a break? I need to get the music stuff going. Okay, we'll go back to that one. Okay. Hopefully I can get the damn, a damn cigarette to stay lit. Uh, 50 songs... With hidden meanings. That could be just about anything, including paranormal. There are some songs that we can immediately determine the meaning of because they're so obvious that it takes one listen to understand it. A bit to get different with some people. Then there are those that go right over your head and it takes several listens to understand what exactly these songs actually mean hidden meanings and messages are everywhere especially with the paranormal they're in the advertising we see every day TV shows logos slogans Especially in the music we listen to every time you get into a car or sit down to your phone, laptop, computer. Sometimes it can be an innuendo or the meaning simply gets lost in translation. Sometimes you, you have to read in between the lines to find the dark true meanings of some of the most popular songs in the world. Sometimes you have to take a magnifying glass to your favorite songs to find the true meaning of it. I think this is exactly what Adina actually was trying to ask me. Instead of can music have hidden meanings and messages, she thought, 
for the same as the paranormal. Which, both, actually. Some of these meanings you've probably already heard about, like the police hit every breath you take, is not your ordinary love song. And now it's almost impossible to see Sting in the same light. Honestly, a lot of your favorite love songs are probably way creepier and stalkerish than they should be. Not to mention, there are some other super popular songs from around all different genres that have hidden and dark meanings. Songs you thought were fun and poppy is actually about some pretty dark shit. Let's just tip that's just tip the iceberg of dark meanings in some of the most popular songs in the world. And of course the first one is Born in the USA, Bruce Springsteen. You're probably among I'm just reading what this site says, so don't take it literally. Unless I actually pop out with something that I out of my own mouth. You're probably among the vast majority who thought the song was all about patriotism and US pride. Though it's though that's not not exactly what this song is all about. This song is actually a major criticism of how veterans, military veterans, were treated after they returned from the Vietnam War. That's actually a fact. However, even though most people might be misinterpreting the meaning of this song, that hasn't really hurt the endearing success that Born in the USA has had. The song, along with several others on the album, performed extremely well on the charts and has even been certified gold by the RIAA. Number two is one of uh, Paramike's groups, the Eagles, Hotel California, Tom Petty. It sounds like Tom Petty to me. It does not. It does too. <laughs> it does not. The, the lead singer does not sound like a fucked up redneck. That's why Tom Petty was shown actually singing the song before. He just did it in his version. The song is simple and straightforward. Or so everybody thought. Hotel California isn't exactly a luxury hotel for tired travelers to relax in. It's actually a bit deeper than that. Hotel California 
is a metaphor about the greed in the music industry that actually leads to the artist's own self-destruction. Even though Hotel California isn't a real location, the Eagles based this iconic spot on the real-life Beverly Hills Hotel, where the band had spent a significant amount of time. Vocalist Don Henley noted, We were getting an extensive education in life, in love, in business. Beverly Hills was still a mythical place to us. In that sense, it became something of a symbol. And the hotel, the locus of all that L.A. had come to mean for us. When, if you look into a different version, it's another way of saying purgatory. Purgatory. Hell. Someone's own hell. Or being stuck in a purgatory type of hell. Of course, now we go to the Beatles. Blackbird. A lot of Beatles songs actually have and had dark meanings behind them. And this one is no exception. Blackbird. What the hell was that? And I don't mean the music playing in the background. I don't know. I'll look back through the video. So the fact that I didn't have my headset on. Gloria, if you're still watching, please tell me you heard that. It sounded like brother number two. Blackbird isn't actually about a literal blackbird with broken wings. It's actually about the American Civil Rights Movement. However, the band has given various interpretations of the song over the years. In 2008, Paul McCartney confirmed this in an interview with Mojo when he said it wasn't necessarily a black bird. But it works that way. As much as then you called girls birds. It wasn't exactly ornithically ditty. It was purely symbolic. I wonder how many of the if there's songs are on this list. And of course, like we said with the police, every breath you take. Sting. Hard to believe that the epitome of emotional songs actually has a darker undertone. This song is all about stalking, 
and possessiveness. Sting wrote the song when he suspected his wife of having an affair. So he penned the famous lyrics, Every breath you take, every move you make, every bond you break, every step you take, I'll be watching you. This song takes on a much creepier tone than when you realized. It's about a stern, scorned lover. Or the person's wiggly whacked out in the fucking head. Like a certain shithead I already know of. This is one of the songs where the deeper meaning is sitting in plain sight. Staring you right in the fucking face. I added that part. But people just didn't hear it for whatever reason. If people mistakenly think this is a romantic song, it's probably for the best if they never learn about its real darker meaning. What do you think on that? Because you actually used to listen to Sting before. <laughs> And in fact, Shithead actually had the balls to sing that once. That was actually a song that he did for a friend that passed away. I know, but different oven lining. Depends on the interpretation people think. A lot of people criticize that song for the way he sung it. Yeah, I know. Which they were all, they were all fucking blithering idiots in the first place, <laughs> because they did not understand why he did that song. Yeah, and said, "Every breath you take, every step I make, is his friend passed away from a very nasty disease, which." Only Sting and a few other people know about. Not the entire fucking world. Yeah. But he sung that song for his friend. And a lot of these blithering idiots criticized it and wanted that song off the air and off the CD. And thank goodness that Sting's lawyers, producers, people that make the CD just said... Fuck, Fuck you, you, people. It stays in the story. You don't like the song? Don't listen to it. There are fucking two knobs on the radio. <laughs> one changes to the station. One turns it off. In George Carlin's words, there are two knobs on the radio. Exactly. One turns it off. And the other one changes to the station. Mm-hmm. You can actually change the station. Now is press a button. <laughs> yeah. So now he took that song, and when Notorious B.I.G. and Tupac yeah were killed yeah I remember that one him Puff Diddy known as at the time Puff Daddy 
Yeah. And I think it was Faith Evans. I'm not sure. I don't know. There was quite a few people that but were doing that. They all got together. Too. Yeah. They all got together and did the entire song. With a little bit of R&B and hip-hop and sting. And yeah. it was beautiful. And pe- blithering idiots even came down on that one. And they realized, oh, wait a minute. Okay, so he was... He knows... Notorious B.I.G. Yeah. He knew Tupac, and that's why this song came back with Puff Daddy and Faith Evans. One of them was also Ice Cube. Ice Cube, too. No. I remember Ice Cube being in part of that shit. No, I don't remember that. And now the blithering idiots realized, oh, he lost a friend, and he did it one way, and... He was friends with other people that just passed, so that's why the song's out there. Yeah. And now everybody likes it. I know. But what Shithead had the balls to actually say to me, that was actually the first time you ever saw Richie get up as fast as he did run at him. <laughs> you were like, holy shit, where's the stopwatch? <laughs> Next, Maroon 5, Harder to Breathe. At first glance, the song doesn't seem to be anything more than allusion to a rocky relationship. However, this song is actually talking about the pressures of the music industry. At the time the song was written, the band was on a real-time crunch to get their new album finished. Harder to Breathe was the result of that stressful process. Levine said in a 2002 interview, that song comes sheerly from wanting to throw something. It was the 11th hour, and the label wanted more songs. It was the last crack. I was just pissed. I wanted to make a record, and the label was applying a lot of pressure. I wonder if Jericho goes through that. Due to the fact now Fozzie is getting so much steam. Probably does. And Gloria got back. And she just says, Yep. Okay. Wanna make sure. Oh, nice puppy. <laughs> uh, another band we haven't heard of in a since the 90s. More like Third Eye Blind. Semi Charmed Life. But this song is so upbeat. Yeah, it's super edited for radio. <laughs> this song is all about a couple tripping tripping together. You just never know because the radio radio edit took out all the illicit substance references. All you have to do is look at the original lyrics. 
to see the true meaning. Even though the dark lyrics and extremely upbeat music don't seem like they go together at all. That was exactly the strange juxtaposition that the band was going for with this number. Songwriter Stephen Jenkins said the music was attempting to recreate that bright, shiny feeling that using meth gives people. <laughs> Blabbering moron. Like I said before, I'm just really what the site I got from this site. Uh, Goo Goo Dolls. Slide. Any song that kind of sounds like a love song probably has a much more darker meaning that to it. And Slide by the Goo Goo Dolls. Or Goo Goo Dolls. How do you want to fucking say the damn thing? <laughs> the Goo Goo Dolls. Goo Goo Dolls. Goo Goo Dolls. However you want to fucking say it. It's no exception to this rule. This song is actually about a Catholic raised girl that has gotten pregnant. And she and her boyfriend are trying to decide between marriage or what I call a literal sin of nature. I'm not saying it. Good night, Gloria. Night, Gloria. Despite the dark nature of this song, Slide became a major hit for the Goo Goo Dolls. Go Goo Dolls, help you want to fucking say it. <laughs> Aside from their other major single, Iris, Slide has been the best performing song in the band's history. Peaking at number 8 on the Billboard Top 100 charts. Green Day, Wake Me Up When September Ends, The music video has a lot of people speculating that this song was about a war, but in reality, the meaning is much sadder. The song was written in memory of, late, of lead singer Billy Joe Armstrong's father who died September 1st, 1982, when Armstrong was just 10 years old. Despite the meaning of the lyrics, the music video for Wake Me Up with September Ends took a different approach to the material. In it, the band references the Iraq War by depicting a couple that is separated after the boyfriend enlists in the Marines and is sent to Iraq. 
Uh, was that the band's intention, or was that somebody else's intention? Because if I created the song and that shit was... And the video was different from how the damn song speculates, I'd be pissed. Uh, of course, we go to the one that's considered the best pop star of all time. One of the best. Madonna. As of right now, she's getting a lot of bad heat. Yeah, and this is a song that might add to it. Like a virgin. <laughs> Every time I've... Every time I've seen Alex, my brother, Alex, second brother, Alex do that fucking thing, I swear to God, I wanted to rip out my own eyeballs. Not because of the music, because of what he was wearing. I've seen both my brothers interact before. Never bothered me, but not ever bothered me. Except when Alex came out dressed in I don't know what to do this. Nope. This song actually isn't about losing your virginity. It's actually about how writer Billy Steinberg was left emotionally battered after a failed relationship that a new relationship renewed him. This song clearly resonated with Madonna, as she loved it the moment she heard a demo version. When a Warner Brothers Records executive played the single for Madonna, he noted, When I played, f played it for Madonna, she went crazy. And knew instantly it was a song for her, and that she would make a great record out of it. And the rest was music history. Pretty much that's what she did. She didn't even make the song. Someone just... Hey, Madonna, listen to this. Oh, I'm taking that. Outcast. Hey, yeah. Literally, that's what the title is. Andre 3000. I actually like that song. Surprise! This early 2000s hit is actually kind of depressing. If you pay attention to the lyrics. This catchy tune is really all about a romantic romance crumbling into tiny bits. <coughs> okay. However, if you're... If you've never really listened to the words, this deeper meaning might have completely eluded you. While the band may have released a deceptively dark single, it's clear that audiences took it more like a straightforward, upbeat dance number. If you ask someone to name some lyrics of the song, they're almost certainly going to say, shake it like a Polaroid picture and not remember any of the lyrics about failed relationships. Why does that not make sense? 
because it doesn't. Okay, I thought it was just me for a minute. Shake it like a Polaroid picture. Think back before we have these updated fucking cameras now. Yeah. Okay? Before, we would have to buy rolls of film. Yeah. Which was circling about this goddamn big. Mm-hmm. Put it, pull the film over, lock it in, shut the door, and crank it up until it stops cranking and you take pictures. Yeah. Okay? Polaroid cameras, about a, maybe, I would say, two, two and a half years later, came out where you opened it up. You got the flasher here. You got the lens here. You got the thing back here. You got the tray right here. Click. You take it out. What do you do? When it pops up, you shake it like a Polaroid picture, and the picture pops up. That's <laughs> what that meant. You fucking dolts. The weekend. Here's the next one. Can't feel my face. That's what happens when you hit the brick wall. <laughs> this may I sound like a face. sweet song about a guy so in love that his face is numb from smiling, but. The actual meaning is much less sweet. The weekend isn't exactly talking about a woman at all. He's talking about a personification of his addiction to illicit substances. Shia, Shia, however you want to pronounce it, S-I-A, Chandelier. When the poppy music and lyrics like phones blowing up r- ringing my doorbell I feel lo- I feel the love feel the love and one two three one two three drink It's easy for someone to just think of this as yet another drink another party song However it's actually about Sia's or Sia's former illicit Substance and alcohol addictions. Thankfully, she has been sober, f- sober, no sober, sober <laughs> for several years now. Good for her. John Lennon. Imagine. Hailed as one of the most peaceful anthems in music history, Imagine isn't quite as innocent as it seems. Lennon himself has admitted that the song is basically a communist manifesto. Lennon waited until after the song was a major hit to reveal the hidden meaning, because, saying because Communism is sugar-coated. It's accepted. Now I understand what you have to do. Put your message across with a little honey. Well. I'm taking a trick on that one. Um... For me, I thought it was going to be the other one. Uh, I don't really know if that actually means communism, even though the guy said it. 
before he died, but, um, what do you think? I never listened to none of his music. But, you know his interviews, you know his music. As a DJ and someone of music, what do you feel of what I just read? Does communi- is communism even a thing, or is it just people being one-sided? That's what I always thought. Communism is something that happened when Hitler was alive. And it all started in Nazi Germany, where communists started. Nah, well, if you want to go way back when, Salem Witch Trials, that was technically considered communism. Well, if you want to go back further, uh, the bombing of Pearl Harbor in Hiroshima, Actually, communism. Prior. That, that was the start of well, well, communism well. as well. Oh, yeah. And it just kept on continuing, but now it's like nobody knows what the word communism means anymore. But when John Lennon did what he did, people went, oh shit. (laughs) People just like stopped, looked, and trying to register up here, what the hell did he mean? To this Every, day, nobody still knows what communist stands for. No. Which mean what kind of now how they're I all depicted, fucking stupid. Kind of like what I just depicted is what the same thing I was trying to teach my own son. Right. What's sugarcoated shit? Saying, hey, when you're a kid, everything's practically handed to you. Cause you're a kid. Even Parents that have kids that are just barely making it. Yeah. That the kids think they have ever have it good, because they're still getting stuff handed to them. Mm-hmm. Not really, but when they become adults, because the way I see it, and I blame this on my stepfather. I. Warned my son when he was 11. You better start learning how to handle your money, right? You better open your fucking eyes. You're you're still a kid, even though you're actually teenager. You're a teenager. You still think shit's good for you, cause shit's handed to you. Why'd you become an adult? It's not all cookies and fucking cream and oh, when's the next lay? Or when's my next ride? Mm-hmm. It's not life after you become an adult. If you're not taught the basics. Basically, when you're a little kid, you can't really say nothing. No. It's when a you're glorious ride. When you're 6 to 10, you can't really say anything either. But, 
when as soon as that kid hurts hits eleven, better start fucking teaching him. Or her. Teach him consequence. This is what's gonna happen when you don't do when you you act like a little shit. You get punished. This is what happens when you actually do what you're told. Uh, fucking cigarette. Oh, no, again. Yeah. Everybody thinks you're born with a fucking golden spoon in your mouth, but yet you're not. Oh, quite a few of them are actually. Um. That's why they're stupid. When. My oldest son... I wasn't, I wasn't born with a golden spoon in my mouth. I wasn't either. Even though my biological father's rich. So, go figure. <laughs> when my oldest son started getting to where he was able to start working, even though he was considered a minor, but he was able to work. When he was 15... I knew some places up in Assachusetts, they let you work at 15. I knew some places. One of them where I would not even send him. Um, I told him straight up, David, you're 15. Of course, he's going off, oh, Grandpa gave me this, Grandpa gave me that. But he's kind of bitching at me because I was giving him, I couldn't give him much, but I was giving him like f between 40 and 50 bucks a month every time in the freaking holiday his birthday came around. And I said, and I said, David, what do you do with the money I give you? I send you once a month. I sent him 20 bucks. Holidays, I try to send him at least fifty. Birthday, hundred bucks. I go, David, what are you doing with the money, the actual money I mail you? Because at the time he couldn't touch the money I send him, I set up for him. He goes, oh, um, Grandpa's taking me here. He's taking me there. I'm like, David, the money I'm sending you. You want to go out and get something nice for yourself here and there? That's fine. But I'm trying to tell you the money I'm sending you is guess what? Start saving it to learn how to save it your own, budget your own money. Oh, you want this, but you're gonna kind of have to work for it. You need this. You really have to work for it. He's like, oh, I know. No, you don't, David. <coughs> Your stepfather came from practically nothing when he grew up. Which I can't really say on that. I can't say nothing on that. Because that's actually true. When Carol died, it's when he really started spitting. He's like, but the state actually took you out of the house. 
and put you with Grandpa. And my uncles. Yeah, but that's beside the point. The point is, just because I went from one place to my biological family, doesn't mean I got handed anything. So what? My biological father has money. I had to work for that. Why do you think I worked in his places that he owned? I worked for him. What do you think half the money you got was from where he worked? Where I worked? Some of it? Yeah. Wrestling. That was my gig. When you become an adult, if you're not given the basic the basic needs of being taught what you need to do to act when you become an adult, you start work as a teenager. In most places you have to be 16. Now, when you hit 16, you need to start working start working. To actually learn. To this day, my son's still that get to his skull. I mean, ugh. anyway, moving on. Next is. American Pie, Don McLean, McLean. No one really knew about what this song was about until McLean revealed its true meaning. The end of an era, a plane crash in 1959 killed rock star Buddy Holly driving McLean into believing that was the day the music died. Johnny Cash, you are my sunshine. You might know the original or the kids adaptation, but you might not see it the same way after this. This song is actually really depressing. As Cash croons about a lover who no longer reciprocates his feelings. Most parents tend to omit that part from the nighttime lullaby. Like before, sugarcoating shit. Don't sugarcoat anything. Psy or Pi S P S Y Psy. Thank you. Gangnam Style. Yeah, I was about to say that. If you owned a radio back in 2012, then you heard this song. The origin of the rise of the K-pop, Korean pop genre in America, Gangnam Style is a funk song with a dance craze that swept the world. 
though it's not as jovial as it seems. Gangnam is a rich area in South Korea, filled with the uber-rich of the country. It's pronounced Gundam. Whatever. Gundam style. Whatever. Just trying to help. This song is all about people clamoring over each other to get there. And it addresses the insanely high debt rate of the country's citizens. Robin Thicke blurred lines. Among a lot of scandals, this song only made things worse for Thicke. A lot of people thought the song to refer to the blurred, blurred lines of consent, which is honestly kind of disturbing and creepy. Also, his whole performance of the song at the 2013 MTV Awards with Mountie Cyrus was super gross and uncomfortable. So, yeah, not great. I Shit, watched that and I had to burn my eyes out. Shit, you could not. Freaking camera couldn't get. Camera got any closer to Will Smith's face. He'd be kissing it. <laughs> Even the look of Will Smith's face is like, what am I watching? <laughs> Johnny Mercer. Baby, it's cold outside. A Christmas classic that has risen to infamy and controversy in the past couple of years. This song gives off super predatory and manipulative vibes. The man is doing his damnedest to keep a woman at his home. Even after she repeatedly tells him she wants to leave. Several countries across the world have pulled this song from the air and the shelves. You too. I mean the band. Exit. Exit is considered the most disturbing song by U2 as Bono channeled the mind of a murderer while he wrote it. Okay, that's freaky. That's creepy. Bono has even admitted to this. Saying that this song was his attempt at writing a story while in the mind of a killer. Bono said in an interview, To really understand that you have to get under the skin of your own darkness. The violence that we all contain within us. I don't know if that's creepy or is that just actually truth. Don't know and never listen to them. Blondie. One way or another. We actually heard that quite a few times. After the song Call Me from fucking Chucky. Four. One way or another, it's actually in Seed. It's part of the soundtrack. 
This catchy song, which has been included on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs of All Time list, isn't as fun as it seems on first listen. Debbie Harry, the blondie frontwoman, wrote this song from a percept, percept, bleh, perspective of an ex-boyfriend who had stalked her. Huh. Another Beatles song. Did I say that? How many other ones? Run for your life. I do that every time I have to come home to this hole. <laughs> so the meaning of this one isn't quite hidden. But no one r ever really seems to pay that much attention to the actual lyrics. This song is from the perspective of a man who literally threatens to kill a woman if he ever catches her with another man. Tom Jones, Delilah. Consider it a Tom Jones classic, but if you listen to the lyrics, then you discover that it, it's much darker than it seems. It's all about a man going crazy and murdering his lover who cheated on him. Ironically, or erratic, seen as he famously cheated on his wife with 250 women. Fucking pimp! Oh boy. You might lose it. Phil Collins. In the air tonight. Hold on. Most people would think that this song was about a man choosing not to save another from drowning. Though it's not, that's not quite the case. The song was all about the grief he felt after divorcing his first wife, Andrea Bertorelli, in 1980. So this one's a little bit less dark than the original theory. That's why people still saying it's about lucid dreaming? I even know that! It's lucid dreaming! But, I guess this one works too. Two versions. The Cranberries. Zombie. If you don't know who this is, YouTube it. The fact the girl actually did die. The ultimate protest song. This was the song that really made the Cranberries big. The song focused on a bombing in March 1993, one of which killed two young boys and injured dozens more. Lead singer Dolores O'Doran, O'Rourdon, I know I butchered it wrote this grungy and gloomy protest song in response to the deaths of those two children. I don't blame her for that. I don't. Even though the woman's dead now. Nirvana. Polly. I think I just heard people fall off and cheer. What? Fun fact! This song is actually based 
on a kidnapping in Tacoma, Washington on June 1987. A 14-year-old girl was kidnapped and tortured. Thankfully, the girl escaped and lived. And the song focused on the perspective of the kidnapper and the twisted thoughts he might have had. And if that person's still... If that guy's dead, he's in hell. Radiohead. Street Spirit. Radiohead frontman Tom York has said that this song is hard for members of the band to listen to and play. York has said Street Spirit is about starring the fucking staring the, the fucking devil right in the eyes and knowing no matter what the hell you do you get the last laugh bleak Pearl Jam Jeremy a lot of rock songs have dark meanings to them Jeremy is a textbook example Kind of similar to Foster the People's Pumped Up Kicks, this song centers around a kid who was bullied at school and neglected at home. The kid eventually shot himself in front of the class. Yeah. Oh boy. One of rock genre's best rock bands. Metallica 1, which is actually N-O-E. O-N-E, not N-O-E. <laughs> the fuck? This song is about a soldier fighting in a war when a mortar blasts off his face, legs, and arms. Ouch. So now the soldier is trapped in his body for the rest of his life with no hope of communications with the outside world. On the bright side, there's a fantastic guitar solo. How is that a plus side? Anyway. I need to go that way. Alright, why she's taking tidy break. I'm gonna go back to... Admiral fell in Baltimore, Maryland. This hotel sits on a cobble street corner in Fells Point, Baltimore's most historic waterfront community. The area was once a major shipbuilding hub and a 1900 boarding house that eventually became part of the Admiral Fell Inn, offered a safe haven for visiting sailors. The hotel consists of seven adjoining buildings or adjoining buildings with the ghosts of wayward sailors that fell ill after their travels rumored to be roaming throughout. Yeah, other words, semen. 
considered one of the most haunted buildings in Maryland, the Admiral Fells Inns guests have supposedly seen the ghosts of sailors floating on the outside of the building where a fire escape once stood. The spirits of victims of a local early 20th century crime mob has also been spotted as has the apparition of a friendly dog running through the hallways. The hotel plays along with the legends offering regular ghost tours. And this uh, hotel is actually located at 888 South Broadway in Baltimore. The Stanley Hotel, Estes Park, Colorado, where the famous movie took place, The Shining. Few American hotel stories are as terrifying as the one of an in caretaker driven to madness by ghosts in Stephen King's The Shining, which was apparent inspired by this remote hotel in northern Colorado. There are actually four hotel brands on the property, but the original sprawling Stanley built in 1909 is re-owned for its charm and luxury as well as its spooky reputation which predates King's book and film. Also with the Stanley Hotel there is one part of the property that is off limits to a lot of people and a lot of people still don't know. That's exactly the location where the Stanley Steamers once originated right out of Estes Park, Colorado, where the Stanley Hotel sits. That was the main business for Mr. Stanley. Hotel management knows that horror fans and ghost chasers... Oh, wow, they got an upgrade. <laughs> Ooh, from ghost seekers to ghost chasers. Flocked to the hotel because of its iconic pop culture status and rents out specific spirited rooms, including the room where King himself stayed the night that he came up with the idea for his book and movie of course the hotel's fourth floor is also known for a high level of paranormal activity with reports of guests hearing non-existent children playing and giggling in the entryway I still don't know about that one. I don't know. About the non-existent children playing and giggling. Hmm? I still don't know about that one. There hasn't been any proof yet. Especially or the kids, from... Or is it something else? 
especially from when Ghost Hunters were there, aka Tabs. Um, Ghost Adventures. Yeah, they caught more voices though. Yeah, but none of the children. Um, I believe CJ and Sonny did it. Yeah. Um, a lot of people have actually investigated it. I don't think anyone has ever found any kids, proof of kids. Well, I, if I remember correctly, I think I have it on a DVD or something, or I don't remember exactly, huh. but I think I have Ghost Adventures, not Ghost Adventures, Ghost Hunters. Sorry. Ghost Hunters that did this, and I don't think they found any true evidence of children being there at all. No, they didn't. I would have to go back and look at that, that again. Hope not, because I didn't really like that one. Liked it. Like it. I mean, it was funny, but to me, it's like are you investigators or are you just joking around? Yeah. Especially the fact, um, uh, Steve put a fucking tiara on Tango's head. <laughs> Not being serious investigators, he does that. Hey, they gotta throw a little comedy in. I enjoy I know, it. but I enjoy it. If you're it. gonna throw comedy in, do it before you do the investigation. Not during the investigation. Does that hey, doesn't hey, give hey. you good credibility. It was trying to get these spirits to interact. Come on. It was, it was if a If I was a spirit, I saw someone put a fucking tiara, crown tiara on someone's head and be like, what the fuck is that supposed to be? <laughs> yeah. And also, Jim Carrey also stayed there as well in the same room that Stephen King got the idea for The Shining. Yeah, I know. The movie Jim, and the book. Yeah, I know. Jim Carrey ran out like a bitch. Which he's actually retired now from from acting. Yeah. I did see that. Sonic 2 is his last film. He's done. Yeah. Play Dr. Robotnik. Again. <laughs> Surprised they didn't have this song. Oh, which reminds me. Uh, Arigato, Mr. Roboto. Which I do remember. I forgot. Um, I do have a quick movie review. Uh-oh. Batman. Yes, I did see the Batman. Uh, Paramike suggested I get out of the house just to go see it because he said I needed to relax or something. Apparently, he said I was a little too stressed out. In fact, I was worried about my brother. Uh, I don't know how to really <laughs> explain this. If anybody out there has seen the Batman movie um, with Robert Pattinson as Bruce Wayne slash Batman, was that the only person who was wondering, are you doing Batman or are you still struggling with puberty? That's what the vocal tone sounded. He's doing Wayne. Okay, normal tone. Like Bruce Wayne's supposed to talk. Susie puts suit on, it's his voice came a little too high as Batman. It sounded like he was struggling with her puberty still. 
which right now is on HBO Max streaming right now. I know. Um, I mean, they did have Summon of Penguin in the movie. The director kind of did okay with that one. Uh, do you think they could have found someone better to do Riddler? I mean, I don't know if Riddler's supposed to be like really scrawny. Like a skinny guy with a sort of a big head. But the guy in the movie that they put as Riddler is skinnier than the cartoon. And the head's fatter than the cartoon. Good God. Uh, They did have someone as Catwoman in it. Let me ask you a question first yeah. before you talk about Catwoman. Now, we know in one of the movies yeah. of Batman series, Jim Carrey did the Riddler. Yeah, it was Batman uh, forever. Between Jim Carrey's version of the Riddler yeah. and this guy playing the Riddler in the Batman. Yeah. Who was better as the Riddler? I say Jim Carrey, hands down. So Jim Carrey should have been in this movie as the Riddler, but a little bit older. Yeah, but the the look they were trying to give Riddler, Riddler was like a young, almost like adolescent, adolescent not an adult. <laughs> At least that's what it looked like to me anyway. Okay. That and they... Don't have Bruce Wayne slash Batman in a fucking mansion. They have him in a big-ass skyscraper of a building. <laughs> Wayne Tower. Yes. Instead yeah. of Wayne Manor, it's Wayne Tower. They turn the, what's supposed to be the mansion into in what looked like in a run-down orphanage. Which pissed me off. I'm like, ugh. Let's fuck this up some more, shall we? Butler, Alfred, they did okay with that one. He at least had the English accent. He was a little bit younger than what Alfred would be considered. Had more color of his hair, but he had the accent. Catwoman, they did have Catwoman, but they didn't have the actual suit on her. They had what looked like to be the suit, but a fucking makeshift, what looked like a freaking kid kindergarten made for the fucking mask. Basically, a cotton hat with makeshift butt, makeshift cat ears <laughs> that only f- went over her face instead of just her eyes. And, of course, Catwoman's colored. Which, I've wondered, out of every adaptation of Catwoman, everybody's known. She was, in the, car- in the comics, white. In the cartoon, white. 
in the movie. White. The main movie, Batman, Batman 2. Batman Returns. White. The Catwoman movie, it's, uh, movie itself comes out. Halle Berry. Half and half. I think. Not half and half? No, full black. Uh, this girl, or the, the games that Paramike actually has, she's white. The Batman. Julie Newmar played Catwoman. Yeah. She was white for a while, and then they switched to uh, an African American woman after a while. Then the Batman movie, Catwoman again, but black. So is Catwoman white, or is she the other? Or is it two people that go by Catwoman and they're different color? Someone explain that one. <laughs> I mean, I'm just a Joker fan, but <laughs> um, there was a lot of debate if they were gonna put Joker in the in this one. If they did, it would have been a dead giveaway. Um, due to the fact there's still stuff out there on the internet where they're supposedly doing a Joker film. For Jared Leto, that did Joker in Suicide Squad, even though technically it was mainly centered around Harley Quinn, the one with Will Smith. They were supposed to do, supposedly, there's supposed to be one in the works where Jared Leto is Joker in a whole movie, and they do have Harley with him. That leads up to it. Then, uh, the so-called lost scene where Harley turns on him. It says, no. Joker is actually infatuated with her. He wants her back, but she says no. And tries to kill her. Or somebody tries to, starts trying to kill him because they're trying to kill her. Uh, now we're going to the car, and I mean the car that's supposed to be the Batmobile. Were people just sitting around stoned, thinking, hmm, instead of making the Batmobile the original from the other movies. How about we make it look like a whacked out go-kart racer that looks like an oversized tank. But it's go-kart size. Someone explain that one to me. Because I know I wasn't seeing shit. You barely saw the fucking thing because the shot was so bad. Anyway. Hang on, hang on. Huh. <clears throat> Make sure this is the right one. Uh, 
have people watching after this is aired. If you're wondering, I'm fine. I'm okay. Ever since I got that stupid shot, I've been having what's called flare-ups. Which, in other words, flare-ups mean hard time actually taking a full breath. It's not because I'm smoking. Haven't had this problem until I got the damn shot. After I got the second shot, I'm starting to have problems actually breathing normally. Now, here and there. I can't... A practice... In other words, every time I leave to go on a walk or something, I'm crawling, literally crawling up the stairs. When Paramike and I came back to the place we live in, I'm not calling it home anymore, just where we live, he literally saw me with the backpack on my back, because we kind of have to ghetto style it. You talk about this thing right here? Yeah. It's not a fucking Batmobile. No, I don't know what the not. fuck that is, but it looks like a fucked up go-kart. Yeah, that that's what I said to you when I first saw the uh, trailer. I'm like, this is they fucked up the Batmobile really badly. Compared to another version. Let me remove this. Gotta find out another one. Yeah, so if you people are hearing like the music kind of bounce in and out, in and out, it's because I'm using my second screen so it'll happen. Uh, let's see. That picture. It's not a decent one. Oh, okay, here we go. Oh, we're still there. Huh? Compared to this one that was in the last movie. Uh that wasn't in Suicide Squad. No. That was... No, the, this is... The, the are you talking Christian Bale? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was this version. That was really nice. I really like how they designed it and everything this way. Uh, Make it more sturdy and more durable. Of course, the penny he has to drive, but... It worked... 
mean, there's the backside of the new version of the Batmobile. There's the 1966 version of the Batmobile, which is the original, done by the original person. And then here's the the other one that was used in Batman with Michael Keaton. Also used with Val Kumer, George Clooney. Yep. Was this one. So, yeah. Dave really took the 1966 version, upgraded it to the, what was it, the 1989 Batman movie? Yep. Michael Keaton? Michael Keaton, yeah. To this awesome 22-foot-long Batmobile for three movies. Then when the newest movie came out, they upgraded to that oversized tank with wheels. Yeah. Which is also in the Batman game. Not the ones I have, because... Yeah. Shit. I don't even get a vehicle to drive. That's on the new version of the Batman game for PS4 and 5. Yeah. And now, they really destroyed it even further and come up with the ugliest fucking design for a Batmobile. I know. For this one. I mean, come on, honestly. <laughs> anyway, I was saying, we're coming home, or back to where we live. After we just got our checks. Paramike literally sees me. He's like ahead of me because I told him to unlock the front door. He looks back, he sees me at the second landing of the stairs, literally crawling up. He thought it was because the weight on me. Happened a second time, we were getting food. And I'm doing the same thing, crawling up the stairs, I've got bags in my hands, and I'm still doing it, I don't know how I do it, how I did it. As soon as I stood up, Paramite grabs everything off me and goes, sit down. I sit down, he goes, he puts everything away. I was supposed to help him keep the fridge freezer open so he could put the food away. He comes back in, hands me a cold soda, ice, of course. He goes, What's the last, when did you get the second shot? Uh, April? Beginning of April? He goes, he's looking goes in our podcast studio, looks at the calendar, then comes back in, he goes, you've been having this on and off flare-up issue for a month. I went, according to fucking Wagner and every schmuck down here, medical-wise, saying it's normal. I know it's not. And it's not because I'm smoking either. I didn't have this problem until I got the second shot. He's like, you didn't have this, this problem when you got the first one. No. Second shot, I start having problems now. He goes, you think your brother had the same problem? 
he doesn't... If he did, he would have told us by now. Especially me. He got both and said he had no problems. He's like... Gets a hold of our doctor's office, talks to his nurse, tells him what's going on. She literally books me to see him that day for it being his last patient. Paramark's sitting there with me. I'm irritated. Which means my bipolar was starting to kick in. And he uh, comes in. I wasn't uh, with you that day. Oh. Uh, when you got booked for the appointment to go see your doctor. I had to stay here because I had a bunch of things I had to get done. Uh, he, my doctor checks me out and everything. Um, he checks my ears because he wants to make sure there's no imbalance or whatever you meant. She had goes, an ear infection. He goes, well, in your left ear, you have an inner ear infection. Where it's so in, it's really gotta come out the hard way. You ain't sticking nothing in my ear. He goes, no, no, no. That's the last resort. It's draining, but can give you some antibiotics. Why the fuck did you do this the first time? Um, he checked my blood pressure, my pulse, because he noticed it was somewhat racing a bit. He's like, your pulse normally race when my bipolar starts to kick in, yeah. Which means it's uh, a counted of who's getting punched. Or how pissed off she's getting. He <laughs> uh, checks my blood pressure. He goes, your blood pressure... It's not high, nor is it low. It's right there at the margin. Well, Doc, ever since I got the second shot, I haven't been able to actually breathe normally at times. I'm more fucking winded going down my stairs. And I shouldn't be. I would go out for... Literally a three-hour walk every other day, and I can't. I just barely hit Family Dollar, which is literally up the street from me. Cause there's two of them down the road, up the road, and I'm so winded I can't catch my breath. Which is weird, cause Paramike actually he got a government phone. Three minutes on it for every month. He called my cell and said, Are you okay? I went, I just reached Jimmy Dollar and I can't get my breath right. He's like, Okay. Come back that come back home. I know this ain't home anymore, but just come back down here. 
What you do? Next day, I found out uh, Paramite called my doc, our doctor's office for a second time. Gene books me literally for a second top day for me to go see our doctor instead of the ear infection appointment. Paramike, he did actually come with me this time. The nurse, which obviously to me looked like a fucking newbie, because she mistook uh, the the hundred over sixty for my fucking blood pressure, or for my pulse instead of my blood pressure, and vice versa. I was about to say something, which is funny, because Paramike, he took over. He goes, um, how long have you been a nurse? Ten years. Really? Then how do you get someone's oxygen intake from their finger mixed up with their blood pressure? Her blood pressure is, is 100 over 60. Not the other way around. Uh, our doctor comes in, gets the nurse out of the room, because I'm full-blown ready to punch her. He go, he checks my blood pressure. He's like, yeah, it's a little bit up there. Wait a few minutes. I'm going to go check something. I'll be right back. We'll redo it. Here he does my blood pressure again. After about five minutes. He goes, well, your breathing's gone back to normal? I went, Doc, there's nothing about me normal. He goes, okay, your breathing's back to abnormal, but your blood pressure is still the same level. It's still, I go, is it high? I know it's not normal. He goes, it's not low, it's not high, high, but it's high. I went, you're still saying this is just stay medium high, just to let you guys know, just medium high. I go, well, he goes, you got the shot at your pharmacy. Yeah, that's where you told me to go. I didn't have this problem the first time. Now I have it the second time after. He's like, well, there are some side effects that you, that some people get after they've already had the second shot. You're obviously in that percentage. What you're getting is, is like a flare up. It's not a heart attack. It's more of a stress attack. I went to the, I looked at literally at my doctor. I was about to say something. And Paramount went, no. Nah. He's kinda right. You do have a lot of stress on you. Technically, your brothers warned you on that. One, he's not around us 
to get you to calm down. And vice versa. And instead of that being that, my doctor goes, you still smoking? You still having computer issues? The cigarettes are the only thing that's keeping me from going nuts. And what's left of my sanity? So you're saying the flare-ups, flare-up pains I'm having in my chest for a month is a normal side effect? You're starting to sound like my goddamn pharmacist. It's the same fuck thing. He's like, that's what some people have with that. Unfortunately, again, you're one of those, that small percentage. You're not allergic to it, which is a good thing. Uh, if I'm having a side effect and this is, I'm one of the small marginal. That means I'm allergic to it. Um, for the, he's like, okay. I'll give you some antibiotics, again, for your ear. The antibiotics will also help for your chest. Any nope. problems, get your ass checked. Hey, dumbass. Still doesn't want to go that way. I actually did go that way, and it's the same thing he did. They sent me to him. Now he's trying to send me back to them. Right. Because... Each doctor is different on certain days. I walk out to the doctor's office, Paramic literally stops me because I automatically almost went to punch the pillar. He goes, Nat, I don't need to send you to the freaking hospital for a broken hand. I went, I'm not Alex. He goes, no, I was actually going to say you're more like Richie because he did break his hand doing that once. Get home. Paramite literally put it up to her on Facebook of what was going on. He goes, you think your brother might know if he's had that too? No. He would have already told us. He goes, we haven't told him what's going on right now. I went, dear, with the amount of work hours he's doing and the fact that he's him and Leo are doing something together where they're trying to get themselves healthier, I'm surprised the guy can even take five minutes to sit out. Not even, let alone sleep. He's like, you should ask him. Or I'm asking him. Go ahead. I haven't heard from him since Mother's Day. And I, he, which Paramike did hear the voice message for him that my brother wanted me to voice message him back 
so he could hear my voice. Because even in messages that he, he had was seeing flashes like something was wrong. And he knew it was towards me. I voice messaged him. Haven't heard nothing yet. I even messaged him regularly. Nothing. Um, people right now are probably like, well, why don't you call him? Uh, the number I have of his, I don't know if he has it or not. Because of my nephew, I don't know if my nephew fucked that up too. As far as we know, he hasn't. But I don't want to be stupid to call the phone number and it's not his anymore. So I'm, it's kind of, how the fuck can we get a hold of him? What time is it? It is five minutes to 11. I'm starting to get hungry. And I know I need to sit down. Well, you're already sitting down. I mean, on the bed. You mean lie down. Whatever. <laughs> so yeah, doctors down here literally went, no. Nah. Okay, well, I guess that's going to do it for us for tonight. Why aren't you back on the screen? Oh, sorry. <laughs> a bit of a little delay from shutting down one screen to coming back here. Oh. <laughs> so lately, I've been noticing some delays, and for some reason, I'm, my headsets are glowing. It's the light from the screen. Huh. I know, I saw that since we started Phil, since it got, it got dark. dark yeah. It's the I, life on the screen. I just noticed. <laughs> so, anyways, that'll do it for us here for episode 52. And yes, if you've been watching down there and reading, yes, all that is true. That's why I put it up there. Just keep going and going and going. Well, anyways, that'll do it for us for tonight. May join 14th. our join our YouTube channel. Yes, please. And join subscribers. our YouTube channel. It's free. Yeah. You'll be able to see who's behind the voice. <laughs> yeah. Um, Chat, mingle, whatever. Like down there says in the, in the scrolling text box, as of June 3rd of this year, there will be no more podcasting on Facebook. So, after June 3rd, which you see right there, everything that is on our Facebook page for videos is going to be gone after that date is done and over with, and there is no more podcast shows. So, everybody that's on our Facebook page that's reviewing this, watching this, after we're already done, I encourage all 338 followers go to our YouTube page and click the subscribe button and click on the bell icon for all notifications when we do our live show. Other than that, I'll just be posting up uh, the date and the time of our podcast show that's going to be live on YouTube 
and I will leave the YouTube link in the description so you guys can click on it and head on over there and watch us there and chat with us live or leave your comments below. So YouTube will be the only podcast source that we're going to be using from now on. And I'm going to have to literally redo the design of our websites by taking out anything and everything that has to deal with Facebook links that are on our page and just do YouTube. That's it. Yep. Unless I can find something else where they don't have that bullshit right there, I'll let you guys know. So that does it for me, Paramike, and for that lovely gothic over there. I'm Paralore. We say good night and be safe. If we're not, uh, if we're not this Saturday, maybe next Saturday. We're not sure yet. We got a couple appointments. I got one on the 27th. And I got one Thursday. Yeah. But, uh, Paramike, uh, he will let you all know when we're doing our next episode. 53. Three. Yep. More continuations of the music and whatever else Paralora has. And the, I think I only had three more stories to do and get through mm-hmm. but um, I'll start the next story since I did the Stanley one on uh, the other version of that timeline story uh-huh. good night bye